everyone for joining us in prayer, and I also forgot to pray. Izzy asked me earlier this week to be praying for good weather. You know, I guess it's supposed to rain, but our weather people are never correct, so it's the only job you can have where you're always wrong and still have a job. So, all right, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be back up here. I had a, a great time off, and I'm thankful that uh, God has blessed us with brothers in the in the church that aren't are afraid to step up and, and teach. And so hopefully you guys were blessed by that. Well, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 15. We're almost there. I'm kind of sad. Every time I'm about to finish a book, I start to get sad and then, then excited about where we're going to go next. So. so the title of this morning's message is The Blessing of Edification. And I was thinking of what it means to be edified. I always think of work and managers. Most of us have managers unless we're our own boss. And there's a lot of different ways that management or leadership can try to motivate their workers. One of the ways that they should do it is by building that person up, right? If you want something to get done, encourage them, build them up for their good and edify them so that they'll be motivated to do something well. Unfortunately, most of the time we get sarcasm and put down and threatened as a way to motivate us. Unfortunately, that could even happen in the church as well and even happen amongst believers. So this morning we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says to us about the blessing of taking the time to edify one another. And So before we do that, let's go ahead and pray once more and ask God to give us an understanding of what the scriptures have to say to us today. Lord God, we thank you so much again for this day, for this moment in time that we get to worship you and to learn about you. And this morning we pray that you would bring to life the holy scriptures, Father God, and speak to us powerfully and help us to understand it more than when we came in so that we might go out glorifying you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and if you were here last week, it's almost going to seem like, didn't we talk about this last week? But the Apostle Paul is elaborating on that, but we'll reference last week's text a little bit as well. So if you weren't here, don't worry, we'll cover some of that as well. So the Apostle Paul is talking about the weak and the strong in the body of Christ. And we're going to have to spend some time developing that in a moment so that we get a proper understanding. Because if you don't understand that, it's really going to feel like, hey, there's these two class distinctions within the church. And we, that's not what we're talking about to a certain extent. But let's, let's read it, come back, and see what Paul exhorts us to do. So he says this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give peace to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to you your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles hope. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope for the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. So there's a couple things that we need to go back to the very beginning and point out or at least explain what is the Apostle Paul talking about here. So let's first look at this exhortation that Paul gives to the church at Rome and obviously by extension to each and every one of us. So he says this, that the strong in the faith, because again he's talking to the church, the strong in the faith ought to help those without strength in the faith to carry the burdens of their weakness. So let's start with this. Who are the strong people that he's talking about? Are they, are they Gentile believers? Are they Jewish believers? Are they longtime believers, new believers? He doesn't really specify here, but it, because it really doesn't matter your nationality or how long you've been in church, what he's talking about here is your understanding of the gospel. They're believers who grasp their salvation, and they understand that salvation is not dependent on anything in themselves, but just on what Jesus Christ has done. That's who the strong are. And even as I say that, I'm thinking, I don't fully comprehend myself all that Jesus Christ has done for me. And I'm sure you would say the same. So maybe we're the weak ones. I don't know. I'm not going to say you're strong or you're weak. Just, I'm just going to say what the Apostle Paul said. So he's addressing those in the church, because apparently there are some that fully grasp what it means to obtain salvation through the work of Jesus Christ and nothing in themselves. Another way of saying this is that they're believers who understand the freedom that they have in Christ, because this is what Paul has been arguing throughout the text of this letter in Romans. He's been trying to clarify the gospel. If you remember early on in this letter, he was explaining to them the difference between following Christ and trusting in works and circumcision and baptism and all these types of things. So I really believe that's who the focus is on here is the strong are those who have a good grasp of what salvation is and understanding that it doesn't require anything of themselves except to believe and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, last week, he had mentioned two areas in the church's life where there was some debating or there was some misunderstanding. Remember now, this is the first century the first century church that the Apostle Paul is talking to. And so you have this infusion of Gentile believers with Jewish believers, and the Jewish believers are bringing all their religious beliefs from the past. Remember Old Testament stuff. 
rightly so, because that's all they knew. This Christianity, this following Christ is brand new. So there was a discussion, if you read in Acts chapter 15, of how do we reconcile our Jewish beliefs with this new belief in Jesus Christ, the Mosaic law, the purity laws, the holy days. How does that all work together with this new era that has dawned on us? And so if you remember last week as Ben read Romans 14, chapter 2, one of the first things that the, apo- the Apostle Paul addressed in this context was that uh, there's no longer a need to observe dietary laws pertaining to foods in regards to being holy and in salvation. If you remember, the Jewish dietary laws were really strict. If you read uh, back in the Old Testament, and we don't have time to go through it all, but there were a lot of things that they could not eat. And, there was, and they were just a shadow of things to come. And we don't have time to go over that, but just understand, Christ Jesus has come and now fulfilled all the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish it, but he fulfills it. So in verse 2, remember, he says of chapter 14, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. You guys remember that? So if you're a vegetarian, you're weak now. That would be a misapplication of the context. That's why we eat meat. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Those were dietary laws that he's talking about and mentioning. And also in verse 5, he says that there's no longer a need to observe certain holy days. If you guys remember that from last week, he says one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. It's like if you want to worship on this day or that day or celebrate this day and that day for God, then you go ahead. That is your right. It doesn't matter if you want to worship on Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night. Just be convinced that that's the day that you're going to worship on and do it. That's the whole context of last of, of the text last week. And this wasn't the first time that the Apostle Paul had to address this issue in the early church. But let's look at two other examples. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. When he wrote to the church at Colossae, and in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he also addresses it. He says this. Oops, it's in the right book. Colossians 2, verse 16, he says this. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath day. See, dietary laws, uh, holy days to observe. He says, let no one be your judge. The um, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. An example of that. So he's addressing that the church at Colossae, they had the same issue with, with the church of Rome. Why? Well, again, because you have this infusion of Jewish believers and Gentile believers all bringing their quote unquote baggage from their past into this church. Their old beliefs coming into it. Same thing we do, right? We have some, maybe some traditional beliefs that we hold on to, or maybe we came out of another part of, of Protestantism or. Uh, uh, Christianity at all together, and so we still have some old things that we still hold on to that cloud our vision a little bit, that taint our vision, and, and we think that we're supposed to do. This is what was going on in the first century. 
And then look also back in the book of Galatians. Here's another example of that early, uh, that early friction going on. In Galatians chapter 4, let's look at verses 8 through 11. And here Paul addresses an, a, a similar issue at a different church. He says this, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, so now they're in this new relationship with God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary things to which you desire to be enslaved in all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So again, there's something going on in that church where they're kind of returning back to their old ways because it's ingrained in them. And so in that sense, they have a weakness of understanding what the gospel is. And I hope you can see that we all have that to some extent in our own life. right? We put these qualifications in front of being right with God. Well, first I have to do that, and then I have to do that, or I have to pray a certain way, or worship a certain way. We have those things too, and in those areas, we are all weak in our understanding of what the gospel is. So again, the strong, all that to say the strong are those who understand that they need nothing else to be right with God other than trust and faith. And some of you have come out of other denominations where it's like, well, we have to speak in tongues. That's the evidence that we are saved. That's not the God. Or we have to be baptized. Or we have to, again, pray a certain way, follow certain religious ceremonies in order to gain salvation. And in a sense, that's a weakness that we all bring. That's not the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul is battling against in the first century. And you can see in your own life how we battle against that every day in our own life and our understanding of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul, going back to our text now, I hope that, hope that gives you a good understanding of what he's trying to say. The strong. Well, they have an obligation, it says. He says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And that word ought has a, a real sense of duty or obligation or owing a debt. So those of you in the church, he's saying, that, that are strong and have a right understanding of the gospel, you have an obligation and a duty to your fellow believers to do what? To bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. What does it mean to bear their weakness? And again, their weakness is an, a, a misunderstanding of the gospel or maybe adding on to the gospel. What that mean, word bear means, it doesn't mean that we have to tolerate. Oh, I have to put up with that guy. You know, he has a misunderstanding of the gospel. No. And it doesn't mean to, oh, I have to adapt their view. That's what it means to bear up, you know, have to, to believe what they believe or, or uh, adopt it, adopt their beliefs of our brothers and sisters. No, what it means is to have a sympathetic understanding and enter into their attitudes, understand where they're coming from, take the time to get to know where they're coming from so that you can, uh, quote, unquote, you know, bear up their burdens, put that burden on yourself and take that on and own it to help them understand that's where we're helping our brothers and sisters. I like what one commentator says. He says, to put our shoulders under their failings and meanif meaningfully help them carry that. 
So you know a brother and sister uh, in your life that struggles maybe from something of misunderstanding the gospel. Instead of what the, the Apostle Paul said, instead of making fun of them or saying, oh, you know, that, that's you know, their old tradition, they stick to their old tradition. No, help them understand the real meaning of the gospel so you can lift that burden off of them. That's our responsibility or your responsibility if you have a strong understanding of the gospel. So that's the duty. If you're strong in it, then you see a weak brother or sister who has a little misunderstanding. Help them bear that. And this is what I thought of the, the best is like our men's study on Saturday mornings and our women's study uh, or just that fellowship outside of today where people get to know each other and see, okay, they have a misunderstanding. Well, let's try to correct it together so that we can grow and edify one another, which is going to be the Apostle Paul's point here. Instead of just marking them, hey, maybe you should go to a different church since you have that. In the first century, there weren't like 50 churches on Ontario, and you know they had one. We had one, and that's we got to belong to this one. And so they don't want that distinction, that division. Nowadays, we're blessed to have so many churches. We're like, well, if you believe that, you go to that church. And if you believe that, you go to that church. Or if you don't like this type of worship, you go to that. I mean, they didn't have that first century. So they were stuck. If you didn't like Pastor Robert, well, that's, that's all we got, man. That's all we got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, but carry that burden. That's the responsibility of the strong. And he adds on to this. He says, now we who are strong are to bear the weakness of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. So what is he talking about there? Because isn't it so easy to go, you know what, that's their issue. They got to deal with it. We say, no, that's that's not what a brother does. A, a brother or sister that knows about it, so you know what, I'm going to help them. It's easier to go, hey, you guys work it out on your own. I'm out. No, it's not about pleasing yourself. And I've said this over and over again. Christianity is not about the individual. It's about others. It's about pleasing God, pleasing others, and then you're number three. Right, Izzy and, and uh, Jessica will hopefully learn that, that, hey, marriage isn't about me. It's about glorifying God. It's about edifying the other person, and then I'm third. That's a quick marriage counseling for everybody. Sometimes we get that twisted. It's all about me, and then that's where problems come in. So he's saying here, don't just please yourself. It's not just about you. It's about your brother. It's about your sister. It's about building them up. And he goes on to verse 2. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. That's the goal. I'm going to help that person, whether they're strong or weak, for their good and for their edification, not mine. Christians are called to seek the edification of their neighbors. Right? And our neighbors first, we're talking about within the church or the context here. And we're to bear their burdens for our neighbors' good. We don't want them to have an incorrect understanding. We want to help them get a correct understanding of whatever the case may be. And that word good, by the way, it's like, well, I'm doing it for their good. The connotation is within the context of what we've been talking about way back in um Romans chapter 12, where this section kind of began. That good that we're talking about is that good according to the will of God. If you remember when he said, let's turn there real quick, Romans 12, just to get an understanding. Romans 12, verse 
so many times when you're in church, we lose the context of things because it's been so long ago since we covered it. But this is a one thought that the Apostle Paul is working on here. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may what? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the good that we're talking about. Because sometimes the good of our neighbor is like, you know what, if you just leave me alone, that's good. No, that's not what we're talking about here. Their good is a correct understanding of the gospel. And so, yeah, Christianity is about community, getting together, learning from each other, edifying one another, building each other up. And again, our, the, the small groups are great for that. So I'd encourage you, if you're not in a small group, get in one. Or remain in fellowship with your brothers and sisters somehow outside of Sunday if you can't make one of those groups. It's so vital to, the, to your own relationship with Christ and the edification of the church in general. All right. A matter of fact, the Apostle Paul uh, elaborates on this, you know, helping our brother and sister. And, and we should take this attitude of Paul that he expresses, I think, very perfectly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, looking at verses 31 through 33. I love hearing the rustling of, of Bibles. The Bible is so cool. Sorry, that's just a quirky thing, I guess. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. He, again, he's a dr in chapter 10 is a great, if you want to go back and read this, a, a issue with this same issue being addressed. And his conclusion is this. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense, right, because we're doing it for the edification of others, either of the Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. The Apostle Paul has taken a heavier burden, he says. He goes, I do all things for all people. Why? So that they may be saved. The ultimate edification. And then Ben addressed this last week. You know, if somebody thinks something is wrong, he said, then I'm not going to do it because I don't want them to stumble. But you're like, you don't have to do that. Well, I'm thinking about other people rather than myself. And, th and that has a, a, again, it's just, his, it's just, that's what I'm convinced in my own heart. And again, Ben alluded to that about, I think it was drinking. You know, he's like, God's told him that he's not to drink. Does that mean nobody can drink? No, that's for Ben. The scripture is very clear that we're not to get drunk. But if you want to drink, that's fine. But as Ben had mentioned, in him, he's convinced that he can't do it. He's being a witness to whoever's in his life. And, and I share that conviction myself. I remember being in youth group, and I probably shared this many times, back at my last church, and I was in a restaurant, and I ordered root beer. And uh, root beer doesn't come in, it came in a bottle like beer. And in a, a table down the road there in the restaurant was a youth, a kid from the youth. I was like, oh, he's going to go back and sit, get back. Hey, 
our youth leader, Robert, drink beer. Now, that's fine, but to him, he doesn't know if that's my first or my tenth. And I was like pouring. I go, can I get a glass? And I was like pouring it real high so he could see it, that it was root beer. <laughs> because for me, for me, and just for me, I feel like I can't do that. I don't want to cause somebody to stumble like that. And that's for me. And Ben and, and mentioned that a few times last week. And the Apostle Paul is taking a heavy breath. He goes, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to cut out whatever I need to cut out so that I can save, that I can be a witness to all. He says Jews, Greeks, and even those in the church. He's put on a heavy responsibility on himself because that's what God has called him to do. And that's what he's talking about here in Romans. Whether it's uh, what you eat, what you drink, what day you celebrate it, be convinced in your own mind that God's allowed you to do that. But don't just think of your own freedoms. Think about how that might cause somebody else to stumble. And when you do it, do it all for the glory of God. And you might be thinking, well, that's a very tall order that the Apostle Paul is giving to the church here in Rome. And it is. And, and you might be thinking, well, why should I even burden that responsibility at all? You know, their, their deal with God is their own deal. It's not my responsibility. And maybe you think that. And, and sometimes I think that too. But you know what? God's, for me, God's put me in a position of leadership. Therefore, even more so... I'm held accountable for all those that can be, that can be caused to stumble in, by seeing my life, which is why very early in the Christian life, people go, hey, do you ever want to be a pastor? I'm like, oh, no way. Are you crazy? The responsibility that you have. I still think that sometimes. I'm like, what am I doing? No, I'm just kidding. So that's why the scripture says, don't let everybody become teachers because you're going to carry a more responsibility. Because you owe, there's so many people that look to you as a leader that you're responsible for in, in different ministries. And you have a responsibility to be a witness to them. And so here the Apostle Paul gives a very tall order in chapters 14 and 15. And then he kind of gives us, well, wh why should we do that? Because maybe you're asking, why should I do that? I'm saved, that's all that matters, right? I believe in the gospel. What I do after that doesn't really matter. Well, look at what the Apostle Paul says in chapter, uh, verse 3, going back to our text now. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, 1055. You guys went long in worship, man. He says this, for even Christ did not please himself. Our ultimate example, Jesus Christ, we're Christians, meaning we follow Christ. So his reasoning is like you're following Christ. That's why you do it. So he gives us an example, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus sought the edification of others first, didn't he? He's the ultimate example of, he could have just did what he wanted to do, but he didn't. He did not please himself. He took on our reproaches, our sins, our punishment, and it all was laid on Jesus himself. Jesus was God incarnate who humbled himself and took the form of a man for us, for others. Jesus humbled himself even unto death on the cross, doesn't the scripture say? For what? For our edification, to pay the price for our sins. Jesus Christ, whom we claim to follow, is our ultimate example of somebody living for somebody else, not for himself. 
So we are to daily, we are called in Romans, the Apostle Paul has mentioned once before, we are to daily conform ourselves into whose image? Christ. Christ's image. Not our own image. Not the best believer that you know's image. No. Christ's image. As a matter of fact, I didn't read um, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't, imi- like, don't do what I do unless I'm following Jesus, is pretty much is what he's saying. So the reason we do this, the reason why we live such a way, or are called to this tall order of responsibility as believers, is because our Lord and Savior did it first, whom we are called to be image bearers of. So how do we do this? Again, it's a very tall order that God has called us as believers to do. Well, look at verse 4. He says, after quoting scripture about why what Jesus did and how he handled it, he says this, for whatever was written in earlier times, he's talking about the Old Testament here. This is a first century New Testament Letters are all over the Roman Empire, not yet gathered into a a canon like we have now. So he's obviously alluding to the Old Testament here. So he says this, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, you might have hope. Paul's reasoning from scripture here, as he quoted from Psalm 69, speaking of Jesus's example, Again, he now explains the importance of Scripture in regards to this topic that we're addressing at hand, this tall order. He says, what was written in earlier times was written for what? Our instruction. You see, the Scriptures are not to be read simply as history. They're to be read to learn, to understand, to find examples in. There are great truths and lessons to be learned from the Old Testament. And by extension, now we are blessed to have the New Testament. And he ex- ex- he stresses the importance of Scripture not only here, but I want to show you another place in 1 Corinthians 10, six, uh, verses 6 through 11. This is a great, uh, I love this section because he talks about the importance of the Old Testament Scriptures. He says this, Now these things happen. He just got done talking about Moses. So he says, now these things happen as examples for us. So that we might not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now let us act, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us cry the Lord as some of them did. He's given examples of what he's just talked about and saying we should learn from that and not follow in their footsteps. He says, and they were destroyed by the serpent, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example as they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age has come. He's saying those scriptures that we're reading were written for our benefit too so that we wouldn't follow in their footsteps. So the way that we carry out this tall order is by learning from the scriptures of all these great stories and examples that we have in here. So what does that mean? That means, hey, we have to read it. We can't just rely on Sunday sermons where we cover a little section. 
you're going to grow in your understanding of who God is and his love for you and begin to trust him even more than read the scriptures, that's where you're going to gain that. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us here, going back to our text of Romans of chapter 15. He says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So that's one where we get encouragement from scriptures. This is how we learn how to bear the burdens of the of the weaker brothers and sisters and their understanding of the gospel. But he doesn't just leave it to that. And I and I like this. Look at verse five. We also need um, the actually I skipped one. So the application of scripture, that's points. That's one point that we get. We need to apply what we learn. Once you learn it and you apply it and you see God work in your life, you trust him more. You gain an understanding of him more. So the daily application of scriptures will help us in our understanding of who God is. And the encouragement of scriptures, as I mentioned, we have to let scripture encourage us as learning as much as we can about God by reading the scriptures. And then by applying scriptures, all these things will just fall into place for us as our understanding grows doesn't mean life's going to be perfect, but you're going to gain an understanding of how God moves, how God works in our lives. And then in verse 5, he talks about ultimately it's the power of God that's going to do all this. It's not because you have a great understanding or because you follow all these rules and regulations. Look at verse 5. Now he prays, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Paul shows us that the ultimate strength of endurance and perseverance comes from God. So as you apply scripture, as you trust in God, God will give you the ability to understand who he is, to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters. And what will be the result of all this? Look at verse 6 now. So you do all this so that, this is the, the reason or the result, so that with one accord you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The result of carrying out this command of edification, or you'll see the blessing of edification, is that we will be united in our glorification of God. The Apostle Paul in the first century is trying to stem the tide of division within the church. He wanted them to worship together. So he's saying, don't let these, these uh, misunderstandings of the gospel some of you understand of it, and some of you don't. Don't let this divide you. As a matter of fact, we need to come together as one accord with one voice to glorify God. That's the ultimate edification. God doesn't want us to be divided over little things. Again, we have many churches now, so we can just, if we don't like something at one church, we go to another. If we don't like, you know, the way they worship, we go to another. They didn't, again, they didn't have this. He says, we need to learn how to work together here. So that we can be united in one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, look at the second one is this, verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The result of carrying out this command of the blessing of edification will be that, number one, we'll be united in our glorification of God. And verse 7 says that we will lovingly receive one another. That we won't let little things divide us. 
will accept our brothers and sisters even though we may have different views on certain things or we may carry baggage from our old religious practices. We don't use them to divide. We use them to unite. And we receive one another just as Christ. Christ didn't tell us, hey, before you come to me, you need to go figure out what salvation and sanctification and all this. No. He just said, come, and then he cleans us up through the process. That's the same thing we do in the church. Our misunderstandings, we work together through it to gain a better understanding of the gospel. And then verses 8 and 12, it talks about how we will be a witness for God as we do this. Again, he points to Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us for the glory of God. Look at verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. So now he's going to show you how Christ was a savior to both the Jews and the Gentiles based on the Old Testament scripture. He says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That's the Jew. On behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Because of the Old Testament scripture promises to the Old Testament fathers, Christ became a savior to those people. Not only that, look at what he says. And... For the Gentiles, too, to the glory of God for his mercy as it is written. And then he says, look, even in the Old Testament, Scripture talked about salvation to the, to the Gentiles. And so he quotes a bunch of different Old Testament Scriptures. Look at what he says. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with your people. This is Old Testament. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come to the root of Jesse, or come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles have hope. Christ became all things to all people so that he might save all people, both Jew and Gentile. But he will be a witness for God. And then fourthly, the result of carrying out this command is this that we will abound in assurance. Those lessons we've learned and applied in our daily life will result in us growing in our faith and trusting God. Look at what he says in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you go out and do these things, may God grant you this hope, he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's close with this quick three things, the application for us today, knowing this, right? All of us are on different areas of our understanding of the gospel, and sometimes we fluctuate back and forth. Sometimes we think we get it, and then sometimes we don't, right? We've all been there. So let me just give you three things of application for each and every one of us to apply in our lives. I'm sure you have some already, but let me say this. For your brother and sister's edification... Seek to put their their needs before your own. All of us are brothers and sisters in the Lord if we've accepted Christ as Savior. It's our responsibility, our duty, the Apostle Paul says, to seek to put each other's needs before our own, right? For what purpose? For edification, for the building up of their faith. We all have that responsibility here in the church. Secondly, find ways to grow in your understanding of the gospel with each other. Live in harmony with each other. He didn't tell the Jew, the weak Christian or the strong Christian, hey, you guys go find another church. No, he said, let's work it out so that we could be unified. So we all have 
differences in, uh, in, in what we believe, but we have to hold central to the core belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, we, there's secondary issues that we can debate on, and, you know, you know, and there's, there's a plethora of them. And for, t- for time's sake, I'm not going to go through them all because we'd be here all day. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's, there's people, I, I just recently heard, like, they say that you should only sing hymns in church or you should only sing psalms in church. Wow, is this really an issue? Are we really talking about this? There's little minor issues like that within the church. So find ways to grow in your understanding of the gospel. How we worship, whether it's singing the psalms or hymns or, or modern-day worship, is that going to you know, cause us to be weak in our understanding of the gospel? I don't, I don't think so. But anyways, and fourth, uh, thirdly and lastly, don't let secondary theological issues distract us from the ultimate goal of glorifying God with a united voice. Again, what you believe let's for the end times, that should not get in the way of being a unified voice for glorifying God. Whether you believe in a post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, whatever. You know, multiple tribs, I don't know. You don't know. The apostles didn't know. So don't think you have it figured out. Don't let it divide us. That's just one example. There's plenty more we could talk about. So the application. Put those things into practice, for ultimately for the glorification of our brother and sister, and that we can be united in glorifying our great God in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, once again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, how it continues to have meaning and relevance for us as believers, Lord, in the 21st century. Help us, Lord God, to learn from those things that are written in the pages of Scripture so that we might persevere and endure and grow in our knowledge of you, Father God. Help us to do that. Help us to be here for our brothers and sisters as they struggle in many areas as we do ourselves. Help us to bear those burdens with them of their understanding or misunderstanding of the salvation that's offered to them. And Lord God... We ask for your help in all this, knowing that we want to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say. And we pray this in Jesus' name.